This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade, Joe, coming your way. Uh, we have some great roster of guests. John Decker has got a breaking story, broke a big story today about the President of the United States getting a Nobel Peace Prize nomination for what he did with the UAE and Israel and more to come. And Kyle Ripken Jr. At the, at, in about a half hour from there. And then, of course, we'll take your calls at one 408 7669 It's going to be interesting. We know both the candidates are going to be active today. After yesterday was a virtual day for Joe Biden. He needs a lot of them. Vice President Pence will be in Pittsburgh. The Attorney General provides an update on Operation Legend, which is actually helping in Chicago. Uh, we also know that, you know, Kaylee McEnany at, the, at, at noon Eastern time will be giving an update. Um, and we'll see that Joe Biden will be in Michigan today. We'll see how many people he'll speak to and how many friendly questions he'll get, if any. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I am confirming that Chief Florence Singletary today announced his retirement. We have spoken about maintaining our restraint regarding the ongoing protest. Unbelievable. Another disaster. Lovely Warren of the mayor of Rochester, New York. Take this job and shove it. That's what yet another police chief told his mayor yesterday as Rochester's top cop says he's leaving with his head held high. He joins the Dallas, Richmond, Seattle, Portland, Atlanta and Louisville chiefs all calling it quits as they experience defunding and defaming. Number two, Donald Trump caused the covid outbreak in New York. That is a fact. It was not the China virus. It was the European virus that came to New York. You believe this clown? Governor Andrew Cuomo, COVID cowards. Cuomo and Pelosi double down on their gutless decisions to take no responsibility for their terrible actions. Pelosi to not wear a mask while blaming others. And Cuomo takes aim at the president for letting Europeans bring the virus to New York when Europeans didn't even know the virus was in Europe. All while continuing his knucklehead promise not to open indoor dining in New York City. Isn't it time we all man up for this virus and start living our lives again? Number one. When you ask voters, not who do you want to win the election, but who do you think will win the election? That's where Trump actually leads right now. More people in the most recent poll, this is the Suffolk USA Today, say they think Trump will win than Biden, even though Biden leads nationally. Huge total reversal from 2016. 55 days to Election Day, 20 days to the debates. One candidate has two events, one goes virtual. Just guess who's who. Biden, Michigan today gets polls that show him in a dead heat in Florida with the president who is basking in the goal of being nominated for that Nobel Peace Prize that I talked about. So he's got a little bit of momentum. Two big crowds. I mean, do you see those crowds in North Carolina and Florida? Do you see the flotilla in New Jersey and Florida? And I'm just wondering, why is it? That the guy that's trailing always gets the biggest crowds, always under polls. When he leaves the Capitol, he realizes how popular he is. 
And listen, for a guy that doesn't show much emotion, except for, you know, shows passion but not emotion, it's got to be heartening to see all these tell-all books being written about you, from Michael Cohen to the one by Bob Woodward to the Atlantic Magazine article, which says things disparaging about the president's view on veterans and military men and women, which he is not— I've never heard anything negative ever from him in that respect. To just walk out into the tarmac in North Carolina and just hear people saying, we, they're chanting, we love you. It's hardly somebody who has 42% approval rating for the country. I mean, and it's where he goes. Can you imagine if he was able to do big rallies? So here's the president yesterday. He's got a couple of new angles. Number go after Kamala. Number two, go after law and order. And number three, go after patriotic curriculum, teaching patriotism in schools, as opposed to everything they're doing in California and what we're hearing is happening in public schools around the country. So here is Trump yesterday, cut three. Nobody likes her. She could never be the first woman president. She could never be. That would be an insult to our country. Biden has now formed an unholy alliance with the most extreme and dangerous elements of the radical left. You know that, with Crazy Bernie and everyone. And by the way, you know who's further left than Crazy Bernie? Kamala. Uh, And it's true. I mean, you know that she posted it. We should help uh, get money together to bail out the rioters in these various protests. We know that she's praised them. Uh, We know that she she didn't even think about, uh, she actually praised the decrease in funding for the LAPD by $150 million. She said that was a great move. So Joe Biden could say, I'm not for that. Well, why'd you pick her then? So what I was talking about is patriotic education. This is a huge number. I, you know how I feel about it. I'm extremely concerned. I used to be worried. Now I'm extremely concerned that people are changing the way we view America in America. It's bad enough on the outside, but on the inside. Cut five. They take away your statues, they take away your heroes, they take away your great generals, they take away your past. And I said it was going to happen. I said, you know what? They started off with generals and colonels and others that nobody ever heard of, and I thought that was bad. They take away your past, they're never taking away our past. They're never taking away our past. That's the way they do it. You study it. That's the way they go. They take away your guts. And we'll teach our children to love our country, honor our history, and always respect our great American flag. And by the way, 57% of likely voters, uh, when polled, said they are in support of Trump and the need for patriotic education. It doesn't mean you whitewash things, pun intended. It doesn't mean you don't talk about slaves. It doesn't mean that the controversies with the Mexican War don't come up. But it just talks about from the honest perspective of how unlikely this country was to be founded, how uh, how awesome it is that we're the number one economic and military superpower and the path we took to get there. Always improving, still a ways to go. Meanwhile, his opponent leading in most polls in battleground states, uh, except for we're in a dead heat in Florida now, Joe Biden was sitting there taking questions from supporters who were union members. And if you see, this is more visual, but just try to picture this. You have a young woman who asks a question, a very simple question, and he needs the prompter to move up to answer the question. Cut one. And I would like to know, what will your administration do to help them give them that chance? Thank you. 
Move it up here. You know, there used to be a basic bargain in this country. Workers shared in the wealth their work helped create. Are you kidding? I mean, he, he's out of breath sitting. He, you have to see how hard he's squinting. And he's asking for the answer in the prompter. Number one, either they taped the questions differently, which I doubt it was live or else we wouldn't have gotten a hold of it. They have refused to answer Peter Ducey's inquiry to find out what was happening with that. But I bring you to a quote from Mike McCormick, who was a stenographer and an aide to the former vice president, to the free Washington Free Bacon Beacon. He's lost a step. He doesn't seem to have the same mental acuity he did four years ago. He doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have the pace of his speaking. He's a different guy. All I could say is if you're in sports or in life or going up for a job, you're going to be able to compete on an at-level playing field. The president's got to go for the knockout September 29th. And Joe Biden will have some moments, and probably the first 20 he'll be strong. And people are like, look at this. He's doing great. But the president's got to go for the knockout. He's got to hit him with so many, not personal attacks, with so many facts and figures, with so many things that he is doing and catching Joe Biden on his doublespeak and his uh, new affinity for a lot of the issues that got Donald Trump elected. We're going to come back and talk to John Decker about good news that hit the president. Listen, a lot of things happening right now haven't been great news for the president that are out of his control. The unrest in these cities, out of his control. The pandemic, out of his control. And now the economic revival, he can lay the groundwork, but he cannot make these these Democratic mayors open up their cities like Mayor de Blasio in New York. Governor Newsom in California has that place basically locked down, torturing his residents. John Decker on the good news the president got from the White House. And then we'll take your calls, and then I'll finish up the hour with Cal Ripken Jr. Not only do I want to talk to Cal about his breaking the record of consecutive games, uh, his overcoming cancer, but he's also got a little leak. And we got to get these kids back on the field. And so many of these states are choosing, counties are choosing to keep their kids out of sports, to keep them safe. We don't want to be kept safe. Let them play. And if they choose not to, it's an elective decision. But you are stopping them from experiencing it, and that is wrong. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. 
While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, get this. President got some good news, uh, and he got it last night. John Decker was able to break the story. He'll be talking to the president about it in a little while. He's a White House correspondent for Fox News Radio, as good as it gets. John, welcome. Hey, thanks a lot, Brian. Really good to be on your show this morning. So, John, what news did you hold, uh, did you find out last night? Well, I found out the news that the president uh, has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for 2021. He was nominated by a Norwegian member of parliament, Christian Tybring Jetty, and he cited uh, the most recent effort by the president, successful effort, I might add, to normalize race relations between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. So he also cited the president's efforts to try to bring some calm, some peace to the Korean Peninsula. Uh, yeah, so listen to, his name is Christian Tybring uh, Jetty. I think that's how you say his name. Let's listen. That is correct. The first one is uh, Fellowship Among Nations, and he has done that uh, through uh, all these uh, negotiations between nations. Uh, it's reduction of standing armies. He has reduced the number of troops in the Middle East. And the third criteria is promotion of peace congresses. And his latest uh, effort, which re- resulted in the peace between the UAE and Israel, so that was big. And he went on to say, I'm not a big Trump supporter. The committee should look at other facts and judge him on facts. That's it. Not on the way he behaves sometimes. The people who have received the Peace Prize in recent years have done much less than Donald Trump. For example, Barack Obama did nothing. So, <laughs> Right. That's what that's what uh, that member of uh, parliament yeah. said. And you may recall, you may I know you've been talking about it this morning, Brian, but uh, President Barack Obama did receive the Nobel Peace Prize in 2009, uh, less than nine months after being president. And it surprised President Obama uh, when he received the Nobel Peace Prize. Uh, and I think it surprised a lot of people because uh, there were uh, certainly critics of the president, but even President Obama himself, who was perplexed as to what he had done to actually warrant receiving the Nobel Peace Prize. And I think there really was he wasn't George Bush, and they looked at Bush as the problem with the Iraq War. Uh, That's what some have surmised. But, John, if you think about the things that led to this award, it wasn't happenstance. The pressure on Iran, the Sunni nations in the region saw an ally in the U.S., and they no longer viewed Israel purely as an enemy. And they saw that what trade could do and that they were not possibly a threat to Israel. 
and they made the bold move for the first time since Jordan made the bold move in 1994. The UAE says, I'm going to recognize, we're going to exchange ambassadors, I'm going to look at Jerusalem as the capital. And that has other nations thinking about doing the exact same thing, correct? Well, that is correct. You know, there's an old adage in the Middle East. The adage is the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And the common enemy of Israel, the common enemy of the United Arab Emirates is Iran. And it's an enemy of many other uh, nation states in the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia. So I would not be surprised to see other uh, countries follow suit, follow the lead of the United Arab Emirates, and also uh, normalize relations with the state of Israel. Would not be surprised at all to see that happen over the next few weeks or next few months. Yeah, we're cutting down troops in Iraq. I think that was pretty much what the Norwegian uh, uh, delegate said. So, John, lastly, are you going to talk to the president about this today? Absolutely. Uh, The president, to his credit, uh, has been pretty disciplined, Brian, uh, in the sense that he hasn't reacted on Twitter to this announcement. He's waiting for uh, doing an interview with me and Fox and really looking forward to that. We'll do that in about an hour's time. And we'll get his reaction uh, to this nomination, which the president has spoken about before. He very much uh, has spoken about how the Nobel Peace Prize is uh, sort of the white whale. It's the thing that I think the, the president, more than anything, uh, would love to receive. And the president feels he's deserving of it as well. Yeah, so it's going to be hard to see the other side to getting nominated for a Peace Prize. But I'm sure someone will bring that up. Uh, John Deck, congratulations on doing the, the trust you got from the White House and, uh, and the respect the president's showing you by holding off. Appreciate it, John. Oh, thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks for having me on today. Really you, appreciate it. Uh, you got day. it. No, th- same to you. That's awesome. And uh, John was able to get us information last night. We talked about it a little this morning, and he was kind enough to come on, uh, come on today. The other big story, and I'll keep it here in New York for a second, and that is Governor Cuomo came out yesterday and out of nowhere decides, I'm going to blast the president of the United States and blame him for the coronavirus. Do you believe this? I'll blame you for the coronavirus. Cut 25. And now they won't provide federal funding to help repair the damage from the ambush they created. They don't want to provide a response. Why? Because they're playing politics. They don't want to help democratic states. They don't want to help democratic cities. It is so mind-numbingly political what he's saying. They have not come up with a fifth, fourth or fifth rescue package. He wants a blank check to pay off all his pensions. What they do, they definitely got hurt because no one's working. No one's in Manhattan. This guy, this governor has made no incentive to get people back in Manhattan, the, the real engine, the tax engine for the entire state, which is way overtaxed. He hasn't gone in there and said, let's indemnify with state aid these companies to get Morgan Stanley and other banks, TD Bank, to get their people back in here. And if they happen to test positive, you know what happens? They sue. And they, these companies say it's not worth it. I can't, I can't destroy my business. So instead of doing that, trying to get them protection— he keeps everything, the numbers down by letting, telling everyone to stay out. He has done nothing to supervise a mayor that needs adult supervision to make sure schools are ready, the teachers are ready, to get kids back to school, to get the food back into the lunchrooms in order to get the deliveries in. And that's more toll money. One feeds to the next, and they got to hop on subways, more toll money. they got to go onto trains and buses, more toll money. They've done nothing to stand up the city. Instead, he wants a handout. 
And then, worst of all... Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's not allowing businesses to take root, ones that can't wait to open up, known as the hardest working people in an industry, are the people that work in restaurants, in hotels. And when you talk about restaurants, you're talking about hosts, you're talking about cooks, you're talking about waiters, you're talking about busboys, uh, you're talking about people that clean the tables. And listen to what Governor Cuomo said about reopening indoor dining, Cut 26. If you now increase indoor dining, you are going to have to have a compliance and enforcement function. If you go to indoor dining, you are roughly doubling the number of places that you're going to have to monitor. I would need additional enforcement capacity if we have the enforcement mechanism in place. Then we can talk about opening restaurants. Unbelievable. All you have to do is go out and put it, uh, ask for volunteers, gas restaurant associations to pitch in. They all do it. They'll monitor each other. You make it a team attitude instead of a adversarial attitude. It is done. Instead, 25,000 eateries are on hold. Inexcusable. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm sure the vast majority of Americans are, are ready to get back to, to life as normal. Um, but what Trump is trying to do here is is contrast the level of energy, right? Not only yeah. between the two candidates themselves, and he calls Joe Sleepy Joe, um, but between the two campaigns and, and to say, look, you know, we are making America great again. And look at this. I mean, there's been a lot of, uh, of fun made of some of the boat parades that have gone on. And, you know, there were some boats that sank and, and a lot of folks were making fun of that. The, and, and people poo-pooed this in 2016 and said, look, you know, crowd size doesn't equal vote share. But and while that is true, there is something to the fact that there are these displays of, of uh, support for Trump, um, again, in a lot of these swing states. And, and Biden's not, uh, you know, his, he's not matching that enthusiasm right now. Maybe he will at some point. But as you said, he's taken a to- completely different approach uh, to his campaign thus far. Really? Joe Biden's going to match that enthusiasm? Only if Barack Obama goes with him or John Bon Jovi. I don't see it. We saw that before. We saw Bruce Springsteen appear with Al Gore and with uh, John Kerry. It didn't do anything. And Hillary Clinton, LeBron James and Hillary Clinton couldn't sell out the Cleveland arena. So there's one guy that sell it out. It's by himself. There's no pregame show. You know, there's no popular governor that's packing the place. So it's President Trump. And I'm telling you, this is the second time we're seeing it not align with the polls. And this flotilla thing, President Trump is not organizing that. None of his people are. You saw how they're running out of money and they're barely having a presence in Michigan. That's a problem. Do you think they're they're organizing some type of flotilla in New Jersey? Not a chance. One on Long Island, I think there was at least two major ones. Not a chance. 
Uh, you know, I, I just don't. I know the president's used to big crowds, but he hasn't had them in about a year because of the pandemic. And this is, uh, I think it must be heartening to him. And I'm very curious to see if it shows up in the polls. We do know this. In the latest poll, uh, the NBC uh, Wall Street Journal poll, they have met 48-48, so dead heat. What the president's doing now is getting more Hispanic votes, a lot more. And he lost the Hispanic vote in Florida, barely. But he has the Venezuelan refugees. He also has the Cuban refugees because it was Joe Biden's administration that reestablished relations for no reason with Cuba. They said it's about time, but they didn't do anything. They didn't have any reforms. They're not, they're not getting rid of their Volkswagens or their uh, Etzels that they're driving around the streets. They are still in the, art, in the dark ages treating their people like subjects. And we normalize relations. That ticked off every American Cuban. And as Joe Biden tells us, the Hispanic community is very diverse, unlike the black community, according to Joe Biden. So we'll see what happens. Now, I just just see a poll in the corner of my eye that the president's now trailing in Pennsylvania by nine points. I highly doubt it. Jim is listening online in New Jersey. Hey, Jim. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Good. One of the things we're talking about and I'll be talking to Cal Ripken a little bit later on, is getting back to sports in school. Yes, uh, I want to comment on that. And uh, to piggyback with the restaurants closing, too, the government keeping us safe. So 100 people die per day in a motor vehicle accident yep. in the United States. So what if tomorrow we wake up and the government says, you know what, we're going to keep you guys safe. We're going to uh, take away your driving rights. There's no more driving your own cars in the United States. I agree with you, Jim. I I mean, I don't want to be heartless. If I tell all the kids to go back to school and someone dies, I don't want some parent going, thanks, we listen to you. But there's a risk in everything. You die of the flu. I did not know kids die of the flu on a regular basis. And not that it happens often, but it does happen. Kids still go to school with or without a flu shot on a regular basis. So with Little League, they uh, they have a member of my family who's playing college soccer is playing with a mask. Now, they're playing club soccer without a mask, and they're not allowed to play high school soccer. What are they doing? They don't know what the hell they're doing, except for denying people an opportunity, and there's a small window, to play with their friends and compete for their coach and their school in a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. In Connecticut, they stopped playing football because they're afraid of contact sports. Football is inherently dangerous. Now you're worried about them catching a virus that 99.9% will shake off without symptoms. Jim, it's crazy and frustrating. It is. And the problem is is that that it is unknown how many kids are going to be affected by it. It is known that 100 people die a day on motor vehicle accidents. And nobody's keeping us safe from barring us from driving. All right. Life is full of risks. It will be a good time to, you know, you try to minimize those risks. You do the things necessary. You have a you have some health experts to say, okay, in locker rooms, you should spread this far. Okay, got it. Uh, maybe you should wear this when it comes to the bus. Absolutely. What should we do with the cheerleaders? Okay, well, we'll have them at this pace. Fine. Instead of can instead of can do, it's can't do. Adam Carolla, who oftentimes in, in a simple way puts things best, said this last night to Tucker Carlson about the whole attitude, especially in California. Cut 27. 
Sadly, I think there's a—the the sad part of this entire pandemic experiment for me is not the politicians. The politicians are going to do what they're going to do. You know, right. Gavin Newsom in Los Angeles is going to lock it down. Garcetti's going to lock down Los Angeles. Newsom's going to lock down California. They're doing what they're going to do. CNN is going to do what they're going to do. They're going to sell soap, they're going to scare you, and they're going to cash checks. The scariest part is the citizens, the people that are going along with this, the cowards that won't leave the house to walk on a nature trail without a mask and then shoot you the stink eye when you don't have your mask shoved in your face. The part that's scary about this is the part that's sort of Nazi-esque about this or World War II-esque, you know, Germany in the mid-30s is the citizens turning on the citizens. That's, that's the right. scary part. I didn't anticipate it. Huh. Wow. So well said. Steve, listen on WRCN Long Island. Steve. Good morning, Brian. Uh, currently, the boards of education of each individual state approve the history books in their state, and they've skewed our nation's history enough. My question is, can Betsy DeVos, the Department of Education, create a mandatory national history uh, syllabus to be used in every state, and then the state can go and do their state's history and whatever, but... Can there be a mandatory United States history syllabus created that the states accept, and then they can then they add to their local states' history and civics and whatever? The way, the, else? Steve, the way she explained it to us, and she was in studio, is it's up to the states. Sadly, you know, and and in a way, I understand it. And, you know, if you're Texas history, you're going to be talking about the creation of Texas. What happened in 1836? You know, what was uh, what was happening before, and you want to skew it to the area. In our area, for example, they started putting the George Washington spy story into our history books and talking more about what happened here locally. They should have put Battle of Long Island and Battle of New York. So, you know, in Illinois, they're going to talk about Lincoln and Virginia. Man, do they have a lot of history around them? And I'm fine with that. Something indigenous to your region. But there could be a template there that we all subscribe to, that every social studies uh, which, by the way, it's the wrong name for it. It should be history. But every social studies class in the country uh, should be saying, well, we got to do this skeleton, this outline, and then we could add in our local. So, and, you know, with Baltimore, War of 1812, and things like that. So, unfortunately, you can't do that, legislate that on high. In fact, there's a lot of people who think we should get rid of the Department of Education overall. But I'm going to get Bill Bennett, the first Department of, uh, Secretary of Education, first czar, and then he took the job full-time, I think. Uh, I'm going to have him. I'm going to talk to him about that because I think this is a crisis time. And there's no question, 57% of the country, 57% say that having a patriotic education matters. And the president doesn't have many breaks these days, but this is right what he believes. This is exactly what he ran on. When you talk about make America great again, at least we can fundamentally go over what made America great which might be the great name for a series that I have on Fox Nation, which are some great examples. If you want to give – if somebody is more of a visual learner than a book learner, I have 24 features, 30 minutes roughly in length, of what made America great, different places for people to – different things for people to take in. And if you're watching me right now on Fox Nation, all you have to do is when the show's over, uh, click on what made America great. Uh, let's go to – Robert, listening in Tampa. Robert. Hey, Brian. Good, good morning. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? 
Hey, man, I just wanted to call. Um, you know, my big thing concern is with this whole mail-in voting situation, you know, and just as the media, well, I should say Fox, has said, you know, if you can go into a grocery store and get food, you can go stand in a line and vote. And I encourage all of the listeners listening to please go vote in person. I know it sounds, you know, conspiracy theory, whatever, but the president sees things that we don't, and I think it's imperative that people get out and vote in Absolutely. Person. The only thing I want, Robert, is the right person to win. Whoever that is, I want the country to vote. We can't be depending on the post office. I just saw some video the other day of a postal worker throwing out thousands of envelopes over in California. Thousands. I don't know what's in there. So, I mean, we can't have that. Thanks so much. I, I do think we got to suck it up and vote. If you are somebody with this virus or worried about the virus with underlying condition, now's the time to ask for the ballot and then mail it in. And keep in mind, a lot of, a lot of them are going to get tossed out. 9% get tossed out because they make mistakes. When we come back, Cal Ripken Jr. joins us. Talks about him breaking the record, his little league, and beating cancer. Brian Kilmeade. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. What began on May 30th, 1982. And continues September 6th, 1995. This game with the Angels trailing is now in the books. And let it be said that number eight, Cal Ripken Jr. has reached the unreachable star. And believe it or not, it was September 6th. 25 years ago, the Cal Ripken did something that will never be replicated, beating Lou Gehrig's record, and then he continued after that, and he joins us now. Cal Ripken, welcome back. Hey, Brian, how you doing, man? Good. Good memories, what, huh? It's always great to talk to you. Um, 25, can you believe it's been 25 years for a guy that lived it? <laughs> you know, some moments happen in your life that are surreal, and you always think that they're, they just happened yesterday. But I threw out a first pitch to my son in an empty Camden Yard stadium, and he's 27 now, and he was two when that happened originally. So the reality kind of hit in and go, man, that is 25 years ago. I, I hear he is also a stud like you. This is a big strapping guy, and he's right in AAA now? Yeah, he uh, last year uh, he uh, finished up in AA. It's kind of unfortunate that uh, the baseball season has gone the way it has for him. He was, he was at a point in development. Uh, he's trying to stay in shape. He's doing a really good job physically. Um, but he needs to, to continue to play and get at bats and uh, continue to learn himself. But, yeah, he's got a shot. If you can compete in double-A, I think he hit 280, 282 last year, double-A, and his power started to come in. If you can compete in double-A, that's normally when the pitchers can uh, dissect you if, you if you have any weaknesses. So uh, um, then it just gets better at triple-A and a little bit better in the big leagues. So I want to talk about that too, but I know your dad was a great coach. How much does the fact that your dad knew how to instruct so well It'll play into your and Billy's development as as great pros. Well, I mean, Billy Billy likes to say that uh, I, I that uh, my brother Cal would uh, would have made it to the big leagues and been a good player, um, but he wouldn't have been uh, sitting here and he wouldn't wouldn't have broken that record and he wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for our dad. And uh, it was a huge advantage to have the Encyclopedia of Baseball as a dad. You know, number one, where you can learn things the right way. 
um, from the beginning um, and to make the adjustments and have the, uh, the experience that he gave me. So both Billy and I developed a lot more than uh, maybe what our skill set uh, would have given us just because we had, we had dad as the, uh, as our instructor. And while, while he was your manager, your brother's second base, you were shortstop. Unbelievable. Uh, Cal, you're one of nine Americans will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. You were the one of them. What was that like? How are you doing? Yeah, my uh, my journey is uh, pretty interesting, Brian. Um, it happened really fast and furious, a little bit because of COVID. Um, I was diagnosed in uh, in February, and then I was in surgery in March. Um, before they uh, the hospital started choosing which which surgeries they could do or not, and uh, the good news is I have a, it has a happy ending. Uh, uh, the cancer was all in the prostate. The prostate was removed. I'm considered cancer free right now. And my journey, uh, at first I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't really want anyone to feel sorry for me. And uh, then af- after I've gone through this, I thought that uh, it's an opportunity. I made a decision to make my, my story public, you know, probably for the reasons that most of us guys don't want to go to the doctors unless uh, we have some sort of symptoms. And our wives uh, encourage us to get a physicals and they push us a little bit medically. I'm glad that my wife pushed me medically because my PSA number was, was in the norm. It just started to move a little bit, and I was lucky enough, too, because the next part is I went and got a, te- uh, uh, a test, a, a specific prostate test now that's uh, pretty new. It's the XODX prostate test. That's just it's non-invasive. You know, I didn't have to go to the biopsy right away, but the results back from that test gave me the confidence to go get a uh, biopsy, um, and, and they found the cancer early, and we uh, took care of it. So I guess I, I'd like to repeat that story just to encourage other men, you know, to take care of their health, go get their normal physicals. Don't wait until there's some symptoms. It's too late. You know, uh, um, to me, um, uh, I could have waited and uh, I could have said, well, you know, we'll, we'll check it again in a year. Uh, but by taking that next step, it allowed me to, uh, to have a really successful outcome. If it could hit the Ironman, it could hit anybody. Cal, something else you do, you start joining Little League. I went down there and saw you in action. I'm really concerned about what they're doing with sports and the fear of this coronavirus being that it's such a minor threat to kids. Are you? Well, I mean, uh, you know, first of all, you start to think about the business that you created and that you have no customers now. <laughs> so I say that in uh, lighthearted jest because, of course, we're not going to do anything that will put people at risk. But the valuable lessons you get, the, uh, the being out uh, socially, you know, learning from your coaches and uh, expressing yourself physically through these uh, different sports that you have. It, it's just a valuable uh, learning lesson. Um, I'm sure that being in, in home, uh, maybe the kids have become a little bit more creative. They started to, do, to play backyard games the way that we did when we were kids. But uh, it is a shame. We, we want to get them out there. and We've, we've kept our uh, complexes open. We just got word that uh, Maryland went back on a – on a, a list uh, where um, the, the customers from New York and New Jersey and Connecticut um, can't come here now until we get off that list again. Um, so there, there is some challenges uh, in, in the business side of it. But, yeah, I, I worry about the kids' development and, uh, and the role that sports plays in it. Especially if you, you, know, you want to play in college. Uh, you haven't really been able to show a coach any tape from 11th grade. You know, you're not going to have any 12th grade tape to show them. You don't have any summer league to show them. And yeah, there's a lot of unfortunate things. I mean, people's senior years have been canceled. Uh, you know, the uh, the opportunities when you can really showcase your baseball talent, you know, to get a scholarship or get into school, you know, all those things are stalled. 
I like I like to think that that all be self corrected once uh, you know once things get back to normal. But it, it, but it is sad and, and it is a shame. And I think I think of it in a positive way is, you know, uh, once we're faced with these challenges, we tend to figure out how we deal with them. And many of the, the solutions to these problems that we have um, will be good solutions for the future, and we'll uh, we'll keep some of those things. So I guess I tend to force myself to think positively about it and not try to get too down. Glad you're okay, Cal. I think you have an important message. Congratulations, 25 years since that's historic day. You brought baseball back. Thanks so much. Cal Ripken, Jr., appreciate it. All right. My pleasure, Brian. And you can find him on Twitter now, at Cal Ripken, Jr. He's playing the social media game. Back in a moment. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Ross Vogt. Uh, Ross is going to be with us, and you know who uh, our Ross is. He's OBM, uh, OMB director. Uh, he took action last week on the critical race theory uh, classes because we know what's going on there. Uh, we know that they're going out there to describe what a racist country we are and have everyone basically repent for doing nothing. Uh, General Jack Keane will be with us at the bottom of the hour. The news the president's going to draw down further in Iraq kind of worries me uh, because it just says, Iran, you have more of a chance of having more influence in a country you have no business in. one 408 We'll talk about that. Right now we see uh, an update on the vaccine situation on Capitol Hill as the Senate went back into session, briefing uh, the Senate. I'm sure some questions will be hostile as the, uh, the Surgeon General. Uh, and there is was a minor setback in one of the vaccines, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I am confirming that Chief Florence Singletary today announced his retirement. We have spoken about maintaining our restraint regarding the ongoing protests. Uh, that is Mayor Lovely Warren. Take this job and shove it. That's what yet another police chief told his mayor yesterday in Rochester, New York. Top cop says he's leaving with his head held high. He joins Dallas, Richmond, Seattle, Louisville, and Atlanta and Portland chiefs all calling it quits as they experience defunding and defaming. I don't blame them. Number two. Donald Trump caused the COVID outbreak in New York. That is a fact. It was not the China virus. It was the European virus that came to New York. Are you as fed up with him as I am? COVID cowards. Cuomo and Pelosi double down on their gutless decisions to take no responsibility for their terrible actions. Pelosi to not wear a mask while telling all of us to do it and blaming others in the process. And Cuomo takes aim at the president for letting the Europeans bring the virus to New York because the Chinese brought it to Europe, all while continuing his knuckleheaded promise not to open up indoor dining in New York City. Isn't it time we all made up? uh, Isn't it time that we all man up on this virus? 
Number one. When you ask voters, not who do you want to win the election, but who do you think will win the election? That's where Trump actually leads right now. More people in the most recent poll, this is the Suffolk USA Today, say they think Trump will win than Biden, even though Biden leads nationally. Huge total reversal from 2016. 55 days till Election Day, 20 to the debates. One candidate has two events and one goes virtual. Just guess who's who. Biden to Michigan today as he gets polls that show him in a dead heat in Florida with the president who is basking the glow of being nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. I am not kidding. He gets nominated for UAE and uh, Israel, establishing relations, exchanging ambassadors in trade. I think Bahrain could be next. Somebody said Sudan as well. That would be huge, and that could bring Saudi Arabia right along. This is titanic. Remember in our our lifetime when we sit in social studies and we hear that Middle East peace is just too too, uh, far in the distance and so very unlikely? What's happening is the Palestinians, again, overplayed their hand. They held out, elected Hamas, a terror group who refuses to do anything but dig tunnels and ambush and not provide for their people. And they've broken up into the West Bank government and a Gaza government. And there's been no Yasser Arafat, as, as problematic as he is, for Israel to deal with. So the Jordan normalized relations, Egypt normalized relations, UAE normalizes relations, and I think we're going to see a cascade, and a lot of it has to do with Iran. Uh, people realize you may not love the, the the Jewish state of Israel, or you don't believe it belongs there, whatever. It's not going anywhere. But they look at Iran as a threat. Israel is not a threat. Nobody really thinks Israel is going to start bombing them, and they're in the defensive mode. We know that. The only thing they're, they're, they could be uh, aggressive on is uh, taking in those uh, those buffer zones which we saw with the Golan Heights. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. First off, when it comes to policing, this is unbelievable what's happening in Rochester, New York. Now, look, uh, you and I did not go through the academy. Maybe a lot of police officers did. But when you see what happened in Rochester, basically it's this. This brother, it takes in his brother, and the guy is out of control. He's trying to kill himself. He's on PCP. Then he gets out of his house in the dead of winter in Rochester, where, just trust me, if you don't live around here, it is freezing, and he's basically naked. He was trying to hurt himself. They also He was also trying to spit on the cops in a time when the COVID virus was just taking root. We knew very little about it. Not that there's ever an excuse to spit on cops. So they put a spit hood on him, evidently erroneously held his head down too long, got it. But they were also fearful of their own life. And uh, their own safety. And they wanted to be able to suppress it, uh, press this guy down and get him into an ambulance. So this police chief has been uh, in the middle of all this anarchy. Black Lives Matters and these Antifa have come into town and created havoc, harassing everybody they can, including people who just want to have lunch. So the Rochester police chief is under scrutiny. So Laron Singletary says, I've been doing this 21 years. I'm done. He joins the Louisville police chief, the Seattle police chief, Carmen Best, Richmond, Virginia police chief, William Blackwell, the Atlanta police chief, Erica Shields, the Portland, uh, Oregon police chief, Jamie Resch. And they've all said we're done. While shootings were up in New York City, 87 percent in Chicago, 52 percent in Los Angeles, 10 percent in Philadelphia, 52 percent, Atlanta, 25 percent. The Dallas police chief was the latest is uh, Renee Hall. She said, listen. I have a great career. I came from Detroit. I was assistant police chief. I'm proud of what I did. I'm trying to suppress. I'm trying to be um, 
racially aware at the same time, try to create some sense of order in Dallas where shootings are up and Rhea and, and chaos reigns supreme. So they're trying to balance both. And what you're seeing here now is by condemning the police, defunding the police, defaming the police, they are leaving. It's not a great job. You do it with a sense of obligation. Not everyone's great, but not every person is great in life. But they don't do it for the money. Yeah, you get security and you get benefits. I understand it. You're not going to get fired or laid off. There's security there. Uh, You get great benefits and and you know where you're going to have some type of pension and 401k. I understand it. But you don't do it to get rich. There's other ways to do it. Here's the mayor finding out her police chief is leaving. And so are almost all his top brass. Cut 29. I am confirming that Chief Laron Singletary today announced his retirement. Chief Singletary will remain in charge of the department through the end of the month. And I know that he and the officers will fulfill their duties. We have spoken about maintaining our restraint regarding the ongoing protests and ask all involved to remain peaceful. Yeah, not going to happen because people came from the outside and that's got to stop. They have no interest in racial justice. They have an interest in in anarchy. Mike Sloan, Seattle, as bad as it gets, 90 plus days of unrest. They're not doing anything, not supported, budget already cut. He's a Seattle Police Officers Guild president. Cut 32. I have yet to be contacted by any city elected official, particularly from the council level, that have shown concern for the officers or concern for the criminal activity that's occurring. They haven't yet to condemn it. And so I think if they condemned it, this might stop some of this lawlessness from occurring. But sadly, I don't think they have the political will to, con- to do so. In Cut 33, in Tucson, Arizona, a police officer used to do the job, was on with Laura last night saying his name is Brandon Tatum. I'm not getting any help. These people are are bad at lying. You know, these Democrats come out every year and they talk a big game, but they never do anything positive for anybody in the black community. I don't understand how any black person will support any of them. But this is what I think it does to the black community as a whole. It puts us at a deficit because these are not positive examples of black people in America. These, Yeah. And I thought he was a great guest, by the way, Brandon Tatum. So Al Sharpton came out yesterday and said, whose idea was it to fund the police? He said, I want social workers out there with police, maybe some social worker training with cops. But they, he says it's latte liberals who sit in the Hamptons and dreamed up this idea of defunding the police. I had to go back and Google it. I thought he was part of that, but he said he wasn't. Most of the black community aren't. Cops aren't the problem. You want to you want to make their training different to respond to the times. Let's do it. Everyone should be improving every single day. We're all pressed to do that. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. And you also hear where this is going. And there is some good news to report with federal aid coming into Chicago. They're actually seeing improvement in the south side of Chicago. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Russ Vote. Uh, And we're going to talk about critical race theory. When the president found out about it, and believe it, he didn't know about it until he saw it on Tucker's show, he took action. Cut uh, back in a moment. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. 
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We had one incident, and it was a very troubling incident, where one individual shot five people in Crown Heights in the early morning hours Monday. One of those people was a six-year-old boy, and that's deeply troubling. Thank God none have life-threatening injuries. But except for that incident, overwhelmingly, uh, we had uh, a peaceful weekend. It's just unbelievable how clueless this clown is as a, as a mayor. A peaceful, uh, a peaceful weekend. And Monday alone, there were 30 people shot, 30 shootings. And he says, overall, it was a pretty peaceful weekend. So you have Mayor de Blasio clueless. We have no dining. We have no industry. No one's banking. No, There's nobody in Wall Street. There's nobody around. No one's been urged to get back to work. No one's trying to indemnify employers to get employees back so they won't be sued. That has gone nowhere because Republicans want it. Democrats, short-term thinking, uh, also don't want it. So out of nowhere, obviously, Governor Cuomo who everyone lauded as a great communicator. Look how much better he is in the present. Look at how he gets his point across. Look at how conversational. Look how much action he's taken. All he does is blame. He was slow on masks. He was slow to shut down. He was contradicting his mayor. He was uh, setting out alarms of that he needs ventilators and he needs more hospital beds. And he needed neither. He was overprepared. Fine. We're all trying to figure things out. On Long Island, they were complaining that he was ignoring them. So out of nowhere, after seeing possibly the mocking that he was getting because he's avoiding blame on the between six and 11,000 nursing home deaths, and a lot of these sky riders are riding things in the sky or dragging signs across the Hampton sky, and maybe he saw it. And he sees the way the president says New York's numbers were terrible and that he overperformed for them and he got no thanks for it. Listen to what he says yesterday in an act of pure politics. Cut 24. Donald Trump caused the COVID outbreak in New York. That is a fact. It's a fact that he admitted and the CDC admitted and Fauci admitted The China virus, the China virus, the China virus. It was not the China virus. It was the European virus that came to New York. Hey, clown. It was started in China. They told nobody. Europeans and Chinese visited each other's nations, and they did not inform anyone what was happening. It was Taiwan's ingenuity and access that enabled them to unwind what was happening because Wuhan was keeping it even from Beijing in that country because they knew the embarrassment and catastrophic results that would be happening. So having said that, before we even knew there was this thing called a virus— it got to Europe. Europeans visited New York. You told everyone to walk around. What do you think? Trump's going to walk around with a, dete- a virus detector in his hand and try to find out if there's a virus in the air? On Chinese New Year, your mayor's telling everyone to go celebrate because China can't. You're saying we're equipped medically to handle it. When things got bad, New York answered the call. You guys had some sparring, but then it was done. Now your numbers are under one, and you're realizing— that maybe, this is what I think. I think the number's getting close to New York. The president's getting a lot closer in New York. Because upstate, they've had it with you. They never liked you. Uh, on Long Island, it was 50-50. And now with, the, with what you're doing, with the restrictions in New York City, you're even losing some of them. 
who are going out to the Hamptons and enrolling their kids in school. Now, I don't mean to talk so much about New York, but it's really emblematic of the nation because in California, it's the same thing. It's in parts of New Jersey as well, though. Murphy's been a lot better. But you're killing industries. You're destroying lives. You're stopping kids from playing sports. And then you're blaming the president, and you think you want to pretend as if it's not pure politics? The other big issue is Nancy Pelosi. So she's saying, mask, mask, mask. you got to wear masks. And there's gotta, there can't be indoor salons because everyone's going to get sick. So they shut down salons. They shut down gyms. And we find her indoors without a mask in a salon. And that is inexcusable. And what does she do? She blames the salon owner, for duping her when you know the second you walked inside you were breaking the the new rules. And listen to how she doesn't own up to this as the ridicule comes cascading her direction and hypocrisy fits around her neck well. Cut 21. They don't believe in governance. They don't believe in science. Therefore, they haven't gone with the testing, tracing, treatment, isolation, mask wearing, etc., they don't believe in science, and they don't believe in governance. So there is no re- this money for co- uh, that we're wanted state and local government is for a very specific coronavirus-centric purpose. Exactly. So after she gets pushed and pushed, she finally gets a question on her not wearing a mask. Cut twenty. Cut twenty-two. Well, you know, you have to take the high road in all of this. One thing I learned growing up in politics: you can't become them. If that's how they want to uh, uh, conduct themselves, that's their problem. Uh, but we set a higher standard. You know, it's just so weird. You know, I'm researching this other book that I'm doing now, and I'm reading all the letters and the speeches of Abraham Lincoln. And one of the letters is about eight lines, and it's to, Ge- and it's to General Grant. And General, he writes to General Grant, I know I recommended X, Y, and Z and told you that the root, the ideas you had were bad. Well, it turns out you were 100% right, and I was 100% wrong. And I hope you accept my apologies. Best of luck. I will not doubt you again. What happened to those days when people admitted they were wrong, including the president could do it once in a while? But Nancy Pelosi, again, she acts like she's different than the president. She's exactly the same way. Actually, more hypocritical. One thing about the president, he kind of does what he says. People don't like what he says and a lot of times what he does. Kevin. Listening in Ohio. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Brian. How are you today? Great. What's on your mind? Um, I wanted to call you to, with regards to uh, the differences between, say, here in Ohio and, say, California, New York, okay. or wherever, and how um, people view, uh, you know, the lockdown. I mean, we're pretty much 90% open out here now. Uh, there isn't really any. I can go to restaurants, I go to the gym, I can go all the different places. You know, but it took time for me to, you know, feel comfortable with all of the different things that I could do. And it, and it just took, you know, we're, it's not that I'm not cautious. I take my I take precautions. Um, but until you go out and do it again, it's almost as though, you know, you got to have that fear. But once you get past that, it's 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 very different. And, you know, people say in California, I have family out there. They're they're in lockdown. <laughs> So when I see them, uh, we do a Zoom call. They've got long hair because they can't get haircuts, or they don't go out to the restaurants, or they don't do those things. They don't know. They it's it's a fear for them, and that's I know. probably how and, Adam. Carell- you, know, you know what's great about what you say, Kevin? You made your own choice. You made your own choice. You studied. You made your own choice. That's what we want: the opportunity to make a choice. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The first one is uh, fellowship among nations, and he has done that uh, through uh, all these uh, uh, negotiations between nations. Uh, it's reduction of standing armies. He has reduced the number of troops in the Middle East. And the third criteria is promotion of peace congresses. And his latest uh, effort, which re- resulted in the peace between the UAE and Israel, and that's the president. Uh, that is the Norwegian delegate who rationalized and let everybody know why the president was nominated by him for a Nobel Peace Prize. I was very curious to see what General Jack Keane thought about this. Uh, he's a retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, and Fox News' senior strategic analyst. Uh, general, it's a complicated region, but they cut, they point out the president is the first time in 30, first president in 39 years that reduced the true presence in the Middle East. And they love what he did with Israel and the UAE. Is it worthy of a nomination? Well, I, I think it, uh, it's certainly worthy of a nomination, particularly in, in the view that there's likely going to be other countries, particularly Bahrain and Oman, that will follow soon. Uh, but I also think that um, th- this is all about achieving you know, peace, stability, security, and prosperity in the Middle East and the path that we've been on uh, has not been able to give us that because of the Iranians' uh, desire to dominate and control the Middle East. So much of this is uh, the agreement between Israel and these Arab nations. Heretofore, uh, there's always been significant policy disagreements. Uh, and the reason why they're able to come together uh, is because of uh, Iran's aggressive and malign behavior. I would think also uh, you know, the committee should consider the other people uh, who are bringing about this uh, this degree of stability. Prime Minister Netanyahu and certainly Mohammed bin Zayed from the UAE, uh, who is a major figure uh, in the Arab world. He's an innovator and uh, a very decisive person. He has quite an impact uh, on the, particularly on the Gulf states. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, General, is that now the Israeli, I, I understand the reasons. If we did not pull out of the, uh, the Iranian agreement, they would not have seen us as somebody that could be an honest broker because they look at Iran as the enemy. Number two is President Obama and Netanyahu had a terrible relationship. Obama actually tried to make sure he lost the last election. So there was no trust between nations. And it seems like the president's personal, personal cachet, first visit to Saudi Arabia, uh, when it's obvious that he, his... His uh, angst and distrust of Iran was real, and his relationship with, with, uh, and trust that he had with Israel was real. It seemed like people looked at him as a true broker and one of the few that could pull this together, correct? Yeah, there's no, no doubt about that, and that's lost a lot. I'm, I'm delighted you brought that up, because the relationship with the previous administration and the Middle East was an absolute disaster. You point out the relationship uh, with Israel had been at its worst since the state was formed in 1948 under the Obama administration. Secondly, the relationship with the entire Arab world had been at its worst because after the Arab Spring, which occurred in 2010, 
the Obama administration began to disengage from the Middle East, much to the objections of the leadership in the Middle East. When we pulled away from Mubarak, when we pulled out of, of, of Iraq, when we wouldn't do anything after, <clears throat> after Libya and um, Gaddafi was killed, we wouldn't do anything At all. to help stabilize yeah. that country. We pulled away from it. We actually lost our embassy there. Uh, you know, as a result of it, tragically, we lost our ambassador and, and other people as well. So there was a general disengagement by the Obama administration from the Middle East, which actually horrified the Arab leaders because they believed we were ceding the playing field to the Iranians and to the radical Islamists, which was basically true. This administration came in and turned that all around. As much as the president keeps talking about wanting to end the wars in the Middle East and to get out of there, his engagement uh, in the Middle East has been very dramatic and, uh, and I believe, quite successful in pushing the Iranians back on their heels, as well as the radical Islamists. And as belligerent and distrustful as Turkey has acted, the president still has managed to keep relations decent because they had a relationship before he became a politician. But And, of course, there is technically still in NATO, but they did get that a missile defense system from Russia. But uh, let's move on to something else that I'm a little on the fence with. And we have 5,200 troops in Iraq right now. Iran is trying to get influence. And we seem to have a prime minister in Iraq who does not want Iran in that country and wants that militias, uh, those militias under control or out. And so far, there's been pushback and an assassination of some of his key men. But we made an announcement today that we're pulling a lot of troops, a few thousand troops, out of Iraq. I worry about the message sent. Michael Waltz told me today I'm not, he's not that worried about it. Or are you? Yeah, to tell you the truth, I am. I, I think, uh, I suspect, I don't know, but these, this troop withdrawal is largely driven by the president, uh, is what I surmise. And 5,200 troops is, is what we've had before we pull another 2,200 out. And we have consolidated into less spaces. It may, it may be the case that we don't need as many as we had before. And then I would tip my hat to the decision. But I'm very concerned uh, about this prime minister that we have, who the Iranians did not want to have there. We supported him. And he has been pushing back on the Iranian proxies, much to his own peril. And the United States presence and, and its military force there has significant political implications. It's much more than just the train and assist mission of the Iraqi security forces. It helps to stabilize and shore up this regime. And that is the thing that concerns me if we're telegraphing uh, to the Iranians, well, the, we're moving towards the exit. And, and I think that's the wrong signal to send them, particularly when we have such a steadfast prime minister who is the first one since we've had free elections in Iraq who's been willing to stand up and take on the Iranian proxies, which means take on Iran. Yeah. And, and that should get our full support. I agree, um, and maybe you could mention that to him, but I guess he wants to give the idea that we're leave, we, he's doing what he said. Uh, but my hope is we learn from last time that we left. We left our Humvees and tank. We just left, and then we got ISIS, not the JV team, and I just hope the president learned from that. And I think he told the Atlantic magazine that they're the JV team. I'm not sure. 
But it brings me to the other big story about how the president views military. I know how much respect he has for you. He's told me that personally. And I think you feel that. You got the Medal of Freedom. But they tell a different story in the Atlantic, how the president evidently does not have a good relationship with the military and looks at those who died as suckers. Here's Jeffrey Goldberg, who wrote the story. Let's bring the role first cut. I felt confident publishing it because I have multiple sources with firsthand knowledge of the president's views and comments. Uh, that's the only reason to publish anything. Um, and I felt mm. it was important to publish because in my experience, in our collective experience, I don't think we've had a president who uh, has contempt for uh, American soldiers, wounded veterans, people who've been killed in action. And so it is, it's incredibly novel. And he goes on. Is that the president you know? Is that the Donald Trump you know? No, I mean, I was pretty shocked uh, by the article itself. Uh, um, I don't put a lot of credibility in it, to be frank about it, Brian, because it's anonymous sources. Once again, this is the same uh, publication, you know, that was attacking the president about Russian collusion, using anonymous sources, and that all turned out to be false. Um, and I, I don't know what happened. And, and let me just say that because I wasn't there for these discussions. So the only comment I can make is what, if, what kind of discussions have I had with the president? Just about every discussion I've had with him on foreign policy and national security. And I don't want to overstate my importance here. Um, but in, in those discussions, the use of our military has always been central to the discussion. And usually we're having a discussion, frankly, because I'm disagreeing with his intent. Uh, But yet he's willing to listen to uh, somebody outside the administration's point of view. And in all cases, he has shown nothing but respect uh, for the military and what it was doing. He would disagree maybe with the policy, uh, but not with the people who were executing it or performing it. And I would also go a little further something that I've seen in his public sentiments is that there was a degree of reverence uh, towards uh, towards the uh, towards the military in, in at times in terms of his tone. So I, I have not seen anything like um, the Atlantic is, is claiming took place. I, I, I'm not there, so I don't know. But what I do know is it hasn't happened in any discussions I've had with the president. He went on to say this when asked about this, it didn't happen. Even Melania came out and said it didn't happen. And you had uh, Zach Fuentes, who's an aide to General Kelly, says, listen, don't look at us. We never heard that. But Jennifer Griffin said some of the reporting she can verify. Here's a quote with the president followed up the next day. I'm not saying the military is in love with me. The soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want nothing to do, but they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. Is uh, is that the generals that you know? Because it's not the generals I've met. Usually generals hate war. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that uh, characterization to be very unfortunate by the president and, and, and frankly, disappointing. I, I think it, uh, it it insults the patriotism and the honorable service of the senior leaders uh, that we do have. And these, these people have uh, devoted their entire adult experience in selfless service to the nation. And the last thing that they want to do is put troops in harm's way 
unnecessarily. First of all, they don't make any decisions about going to war or any decisions about ending wars. Those are done by policymakers, and the military is not a policymaker. They make recommendations, to be sure. And they certainly do not make any recommendations associated with the defense industry and, and its financial health. That is never a consideration whatsoever. I, I can state that unequivocally, uh, having been around uh, these uh, leaders that we're currently have in, in these responsible positions. Yeah, That's I feel the same way. Statement. Because a lot of people, uh, usually kids serve. So if their mothers or fathers in the military, so often the kids serve, so they'd be their kids going to war. So it's counterintuitive to think. But, uh, I, you know, it's okay to disagree with the president. It doesn't mean he's a terrible person. I mean, if you agree with somebody on everything, then you're not, you're not thinking. It's impossible. I've never met anybody I, I agree with all the time. But on that statement, I wonder if he wouldn't take that back. Um, and I, I hope to be able to ask him that soon. Lastly, the president's going to be, in a couple of days, is going to be making an announcement on troop reductions in Afghanistan. Uh, what do you worry about? Well, I do think that uh, the troop reductions, we can go lower in Afghanistan. I have spoken to the commander about it who is in charge of our forces there. Um, we, what we need to do, though, is keep a counterterrorism presence and a linkage to the Afghan security forces there. Uh, and, we, and we need to face up to the fact that the radical Islamists, this is the epicenter of radical Islam in that region of the world. If we walk out of there completely, they will take that over again, and they will threaten the American people because that is their number one target. We have a modest, a very modest investment to prevent that from happening. And let's face it, we have prevented it from happening for the 19 years we've been involved there, which is the major reason why we went there to begin with. And people lose sight of that when they say endless wars 19 years. Well, 19 years of success, mm -hmm. not failure in preventing another 9-11, which is coming up as an anniversary the end of this week. So, yes, I, I think our presence there is absolutely essential and vital. It's a very modest commitment, and we should continue to make that commitment. Uh, unless there is an absolute peace agreement, there's a coalition government, the people are supporting it, uh, there's a major ceasefire that's lasted you know, for a number of years, and there's no threat that the al-Qaeda or other radical Islamist groups are are going to be able to activate themselves in the country again. But I don't see that on the horizon, to be frank. General, always great to talk to you. A lot of breaking news to go over. I appreciate your insight. Yeah, good talking to you, Brian, and your audience. All right, thanks so much. General Jack Keen, when we come back, time to talk to that audience. one 866 Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. And I would like to know, what will your administration do to help them give them that chance? Thank you. Move it up here. You know, there used to be a basic bargain in this country. Workers shared in the wealth their work helped create. 
That is Joe Biden struggling on his virtual call with a supporter, a union supporter. And he's saying, get up. We think he's saying, get up to a teleprompter. That's what you say to a teleprompter, man or woman, when they're slow. You say, pick it up. You, know, you motion with your hand, or you might say, put it up here. But he's out of it. And he sounds like he's out of breath. But just keep in mind, you can't see it. But he's sitting. What are you out of breath for? So this guy's got problems. And if it is true, they're in a dead heat in Florida. He's got to go compete in Florida right away. And the same poll has him up by nine in Pennsylvania. And another poll, the Monmouth poll, has him up only four in Pennsylvania. Today he's going to Michigan. And by the way, the vice president's going to Pittsburgh. They think they got a shot in that major metropolitan area. Jerry, listen on WMNC in South Bend, Indiana. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian, I'm really curious. Um, I don't know if people just don't remember it or they're just giving him a pass. But in the primaries, the Democratic primaries, Joe Biden made a commitment that he was going to cure cancer. I have not heard this talked about again. As somebody who's lost people in my life that I love. In fact, we have it. You want to hear it? Let's listen. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's listen. I promise you, uh, if I'm elected president, you're going to see the single most important thing that changes in America is we're going to cure cancer. Okay. What? Where? Why? Nobody's asked him about this. It's like, okay, he had all these plans to cure COVID. Nobody knows what he's talking about. But nobody's talking about that. And I think that's one of those things when you say something like that and you're not doing anything about it now. What kind of a leader is that, Brian? He was, of of course. uh, And but keep in mind, they did sell him in his last year, the Obama administration. We want the moonshot to be cancer. Your son died of cancer. We'd like you, Joe, to lead the fight against cancer. But then for the last three years, we haven't heard anything about the fight to lead cancer. I mean, he could have been an bad cancer ambassador or something, especially in his personal history. But listen, the guy has slipped uh, precipitously. He was terrible in the primaries. So he didn't just he didn't outlast everybody. He was so bad. They didn't even go after him in the debates. Remember, he stopped being a target. And Kamala Harris, the running mate he chose, fell apart. And guess who tore her up? Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard, not even a front runner. After she tore up Joe Biden, and now they're partners, partners, and maybe the next president and vice president. We'll see. Now, if the president keeps uh, campaigning like this, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Appreciate you listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming your way from New York and heard around the country, heard around the world. We got a big show, two big candidates, actually four overall, all fanning out. Joe Biden spent yesterday virtual. Well, I guess you could say the president of the United States was anything but. He had two big crowds on one, one city. I don't think anyone was wearing masks, but it is their choice. They were urged by the GOP to do it, but they're just not doing it. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to be joined by... Uh, Russ Vogt, the OB, uh, OMB director. 
He's going to be talking about this critical race theory class, which the president is shutting down. He wants people just to do their job, not get into social engineering. And I don't blame him. Chris Starwalt at the bottom of the hour. And we're taking your calls and giving you insight on what else is happening around the country. We are watching uh, a series of events, including the president got some real big news you're about to learn about in a matter of seconds. Two polls are out. It shows swing states tightening, one widening in Pennsylvania. Uh, Monmouth poll is the president down by nine. I highly doubt it. I'm just watching the crowd, seeing the trends. But in Florida, it's a dead heat. Look out. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I am confirming that Chief Theron Singletary today announced his retirement. We have spoken about maintaining our restraint regarding the ongoing protests. Take this job and shove it. That's what yet another police chief is telling his mayor as Rochester, New York's top cop, says he's leaving with his head held high. He joins the Dallas, Richmond, Seattle, Portland, Louisville and Atlanta chiefs all calling it quits as they experience defunding and defaming. I don't blame them. Number two. Donald Trump caused the covid outbreak in New York. That is a fact. It was not the China virus. It was the European virus that came to New York. Exactly. The European virus that even though the Europeans didn't know was there, that only Taiwan knew was a serious virus that could be hitting the world. But Andrew Cuomo knows better, right? COVID cowards. Cuomo and Pelosi double down on their gutless decisions to take no responsibility for their terrible actions. Pelosi not to wear a mask while blaming others. And Cuomo takes aim at the president for letting Europeans bring the virus to New York. All while continuing his knuckle-headed, senseless promise not to open up indoor dining in New York City. Isn't it time we all man up to this virus? Number one. When you ask voters, not who do you want to win the election, but who do you think will win the election? That's where Trump actually leads right now. More people in the most recent poll, this is the Suffolk USA Today, say they think Trump will win than Biden, even though Biden leads nationally. Huge total reversal from 2016. 55 days till election day, 20 to the debate or debate one. One candidate has two events and one goes virtual. Just guess who's who. Uh, Biden to Michigan today as he gets polls that show him in a dead heat in Florida. Uh, the president is basking in the goal of, get this, being nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And there's no punchline. It's true. And what they're looking at is the decrease in troops in the Middle East, first one in 39 years among any president. Number one, president announced he's taking more troops out of Iraq. In a couple of days, Afghanistan, too. The next uh, president, the thing that points out the president towards his prize is his efforts with the UAE and Israel coming together. And we could be looking at Oman, Bahrain, as well as Sudan, who do the same thing, recognizing Israel and exchanging ambassadors. And in the case of Bosnia and Kosovo, they are moving their embassies to Jerusalem. And the president announced that last week. So... It's pretty cool. And one's a, Kosovo is a Muslim nation. So all these things about the president and the U.S. being anti-Muslim is totally out the window. It just shows these extremist groups will do anything. And they are they, – if they should take aim on anybody, and they shouldn't, but is China the one who's locking up Muslims, putting them in concentration camps, and the world is looking the other way, which is sickening. So about the president and the trend in the polls, listen to what Steve Kornacki said on MSNBC. Kind of interesting. Cut 12. 
A seven-point lead on average for Biden nationally. But when you look at the key battleground states, here you go, six of them, the big six right here, three, four, five, two, five, one. These are all Biden leads right now on average, and they are all closer than. They are inside of that seven-point national average to varying degrees here. All six of these states were Trump states in 2016. All of them are Biden leads right now, but also those are Biden leads. Those are small, narrow Biden leads, very narrow in some cases. So I think if you see that national number tighten, if it moves from seven to six to five to four, somewhere in that range, you can also expect that you're going to be seeing movement in these numbers at the statewide level in these battleground states. And it won't take much movement there for Trump to be in position to start winning these states. He's not that, he's down right now, I think. He's not that far off. And keep in mind, there's these three in particular here in the Midwest, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Remember, Trump flipped them, first Republican to do it in 30 years, all by less than a point in 2016. He'll outwork you. And I factor in Minnesota there. That's the one thing the president could flip. They have internal polls that show he's winning in Arizona. So the president, one thing is bad, and he didn't bring it up there, and that's the president's blown a lot of money. And that was under Brad Parscale, whether it was on the president's behest. But early they were spending money. They call it vanity ads on the Super Bowl a year before the election. Unnecessary. Uh, People running up expenses unnecessarily, but the president said, I'll write a check if I have to. What he mentioned early was Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Florida, Arizona, and North Carolina. So that's MSNBC. They don't go out of their way to uh, bow towards the president. But here's what's fluid. Now, if you're just saying to yourself, well, what's going to change? What's going to change? Well, what's changing is the news. And what's changing in the news is the unrest in these urban environments, 100-plus days in Seattle and Portland, now new unrest in Rochester. And we're seeing people that remind me of you eating at lunch outdoors because we're not allowed indoors yet in some cases. And we just want to eat lunch. We're not racist. We're not against anybody. We maybe haven't decided yet what we're going to do. And all of a sudden, a bunch of protesters who turn into rioters start taking food off my plate, start banging sticks, grabbing the beer off my plate, start overturning tables, and throwing water on me. Really? Well, who is against that from day one? And who just started realizing it's a problem and is starting to condemn general rioters? Joe Biden. Who's been there from day one? Donald Trump, who actually put together a task force called Legend, Operation Legend, that's actually proving to work in Chicago. And if New York would let it in, it would start to work here. Who has offered help and gave it in Portland? President. Who is not an absolute monarch and a dictator? This president. Because if he did, he would just flood in with with uh, National Guard and federal agents and said, the heck with you, liberal mayors, and create chaos. He's not doing it. But he's letting, his, he's letting his feelings be known and help is ready. All you have to do is ask for it, Rochester, New York. So that's an issue that's going the president's way. Next, suburban women and men are looking at that and going, yeah, that could be coming to me. And, you know, if there's an incident that people don't like that makes the Orlando magic and Milwaukee Bucks walk off the court again, then and if there's race riots in my town, small or big. You know, it's not Chicago. I don't go to Chicago. It's Rochester, New York. Well, I can relate to that. All right. Oh, Portland, they always have problems. Really? What about Minneapolis? They got new problems. The other issue is this patriotic education. 
you know, we know our founding fathers weren't perfect. I learned all about slavery in school and who was for it, who was against it. Benjamin Franklin and John Adams would dig in against those who needed it to industrialize their farm. I, you know, when you have Jefferson and Madison knowing how bad it was, that was in our schools. Now they want to eliminate, make these guys villains. And I'm not for that. And turns out 57% of the country aren't either. That's the president's issue. But it's not one he adopted. It's one he got elected with. So patriotic education and law and order are making suburban men and women revisit the president. I believe. Cut 13. Biden leading by seven points, as we say nationally. But when you ask voters, not, not who do you want to win the election, but who do you think will win the election? Check this out. This, that's where Trump actually leads right now. More people in the most recent poll, this is the Suffolk USA Today, say they think Trump will win than Biden, even though Biden leads nationally. Huge total reversal from 2016. At this point in 2016, the national horse race was actually closer. Clinton led by three. But when you ask that question at this point in 2016, who do you think will win? Clinton led by 25 points there. So the expectations game has changed dramatically in four years. And look, they're coming at them all the tell-all books, the Bob Woodward book, the Michael Cohen book, the Atlantic Monthly article. They're coming at the president with both guns a-blazing, and he's still going up. Think about this. Name one time the Washington Post, the New York Times, MSNBC, or CNN did a story positive about the president. He's, uh, Steve Kornacki's reading numbers. So you can't really skew the numbers. You cannot include them, but you can't skew the numbers. And then next, I just saw a poll out now, a uh, likely voter poll, that had the president trailing by five in Wisconsin. We'll see. You know, they had him five five on election day, I think, too. one 408 7669 When we come back, we still we speak with Rush Vote. He's in charge of the budget, the checkbook for the country. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. What these elected officials have done is a complete abdication of their duty in protecting the safety and the security of the very people who elected them into the office, into that office in the first place. Shannon, the federal government, the Department of Justice, has arrested over 300 people nationally. We've charged over 300 people federally. Um, and in Portland alone, we have, we have arrested over 100 people. We have close to 80 federal charges. This is all related to civil unrest. And the Department of Justice will continue to aggressively prosecute uh, those who are committing these crimes. Uh, that, is, uh, that is Carol Kupek, uh, who is, uh, who is uh, talking about what the federal government is doing to try to get some uh, semblance of order to these cities. Russ Vogt joins us now, OMB director. Uh, Russ, always great to have you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian, for having me. All right, so you're taking on critical race theory. First off, the first time I heard about this was on Tucker Carlson's show. Uh, Could you tell us what it is and how you became aware of it and what you can do? Sure. It is a a theory of of race and institutions that our institutions are fundamentally systemically racist. Uh, It's a way – it's a worldview that looks out and says, okay, we might see – instances of inequality that need to be addressed instead of addressing them because 
people are both uh, made in the image of God, but also uh, there are there are aspects of, of of evil and sin in the world. And so instead of saying where can we reform it and make it better, knowing that people uh, are made in the image of God and have that ability to move forward with with hope and opportunity, it's a it's a, a, a critique of that worldview to say all of our institutions are rotten at the core, that they are systemically racist, that we need to overturn those institutions, that we need to overturn institutions like police departments or our law and order system. Uh, and if you look at the, the, the last several months, it is basically critical race theory writ large across the, the entirety of our, our country in different, uh, in different aspects. And so what the president is saying, look, we are not going to have this taught through our federal government, through our, our training programs. This is not something that's going to receive taxpayer funding. Uh, he's not saying that all of all diversity programs within the federal government is something that uh, will, will not go forward, although all diversity programs will now be scrubbed thoroughly for this kind of uh, uh, Marxist thought that has been unfortunately imbibed by too many in this country. And, and the reason why it is so insidious is because it leaves people to hate their country. Uh, and that's a that's a big thing uh, to not have uh, the next generation of people who grow up who love their country want to protect it want to fight for it instead they come to believe that it's it's fundamentally rotten to the core uh, that's what we're trying to stop and that's why we're we're trying to say that uh, we we're going to make sure that the the taxpayer dollars go uh, to to, to non racist uh, training programs. So, who put this in place, and why? And, and why is it taking so long to to scrutinize it? Yeah, we're still doing a kind of a forensic on on where you know the what was the moment in time where this began. Obviously, it ramped up uh, during the Obama administration. There's no doubt about that. I think that until the president came along uh, and, and, and some of the outside uh, think tank types really uh, provided some the disinfectant of sunlight, um, a lot of the policy officials were not aware of this. And so the president was very clear uh, on Friday night to say this is not going to be something that we go forward with. We're going to do cease and desist to the extent that agencies know about items like this. And I think that gives a lot of uh, courage to the policy officials who are running these agencies to, to really uh, in, insist that this not go forward. And uh, I, I have called for and we'll be putting forward uh, implementation guidance uh, to be able to help agencies root this out. Uh, that will be forthcoming because I think that we've got to make sure that we, we give the tools and the, the, the knowledge base to the policy officials that are working for this president to be able to root this stuff out. Do you think there's any role for uh, for any type of program about racial awareness in today's environment that you think might be necessary? For example, a Midwesterner with certain experience might have a different experience than a Northeasterner. Do you think that they have any role in the workplace? Uh, I think it can be. I mean, just last night, Brian, I had a conversation with a dear friend unpacking many of these issues uh, around my memo, and I came away with that, that conversation with uh, more knowledge about what that individual faced in his life. And I think that those are conversations that can be had, and they, are, uh, they require people who uh, are – trying to understand where each other are coming from, loving their neighbor, uh, I think those can be are, – are definitely possibilities. I think when the federal government 
uh, gets involved and uh, outsources this away from individuals to nonprofits that often have a uh, a leftist viewpoint is is one of the places where we think th that's inappropriate and where we really want to clamp down on it. But we we're not saying to to people that uh, not have foster awareness about where their uh, uh, their colleagues may have experienced wounds, uh, but we do want to make sure that they're not imbibing Marxist uh, theory in the process. Uh, Russ, lastly, $3 trillion budget deficit. How do we, f I know what we're up against now. We want more money, print more money uh, that may be needed for the states. How do we, how do we, is, I get tough if I'm in overdraft and people listening right now are in overdraft, we stress. How stressed are you? Well, I'm certainly – I came into the COVID-19, uh, what really has become a public health war, economic war, concerned about the deficit and the debt, and, and you know I will remain concerned about that. In the moment, though, we're taking the bazooka gun to this public health crisis, and we're going to do everything we can to get the economy going. And when we're on the other side of it, when we're out of warlike conditions, we're going to do everything we can like we were prior to this uh, coming on us in, in, in January and February to get a handle on the debt and deficit. Um, the president has put forward proposals. Congress has rejected them. Uh, but we also want to make sure that we can walk and chew gum at the same time, that we don't uh, – we'll never have an ability to tackle debt and deficits if the economy is not growing, if people aren't working. And so we want to do what we need to do in the moment, but not also lose sight of the fact that we, over time we're going to need to address this, that those calls from the left that says, you know, uh, you can just go on forever like this, uh, that's not the position of this administration. Uh, but we have a moment in time where we're seeing low interest rates rates, uh, thankfully, that are allowing us to combat this with everything we got. Mm. Uh, but we'll, we have not forgotten it, and we will address it. Gotcha. Hey, Russ, thanks so much for the insight. Keep us up to date on this breaking news. Russ Vogt, appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Bye. All right. Coming up next, uh, Chris Tyrewald will break down these new polls that are in and tell us where this whole election's heading, uh, as well as the issues that are really resonating with Americans. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The D.C. committee, did you see about that? They want to change the name of the Washington Monument. They want to get rid of the Lincoln Monument, Jefferson Monument. Now we're talking the big stuff. They finally hit the big time. Took them a while to get there, but I said that was going to happen. Don't worry about it. President of the United States uh, talking about this patriotic education, and I think it resonates. 57% of the people in polls say it matters to them. Uh, Chris Tarwolf joins us now, political editor for Fox News. you got the halftime report, keeps you up to date in the afternoon on what's happening on a daily basis. Chris, welcome back. What about this new issue of... Uh, of a patriotic education. Is there some resonance there? Well, um, I don't So this is an initiative that the president has for patriotic education? It just the whole issue in particular with 153 monuments that are going to be reexamined in Washington, D.C., the California curriculum that's out there that th uh, emphasize 1619, not 1776. Uh, the president's going all in on it. So when it comes to... I w I wish 
Lord, hear our prayer that we would have civics education in this country, because part of the reason we're in such a pickle in the United States is that we don't have civics education. And every speech I give, every talk I give, every place I go, I tell people the same thing. Demand civics education. We have to teach America's children about our history and about how our system of government works, because if we don't know how it works and we don't know what it is, we won't be able to use it correctly and we won't be able to ask for the right thing. So I think civics education is fantastic. And I think that educating people, uh, I think patriotic indoctrination is great. I think Americans ought to, I think young Americans ought to say the Pledge of Allegiance and they ought to be uh, indoctrinated indeed in the ways of the things that are great about our unique and special and wonderful country. Uh, so there's that part. But I think what we're talking about here is the fight over uh, historical monuments. And the D.C., it, it was a real doozy. So D.C. wanted D.C. has some problematic naming uh, of its schools or parks or things. So the mayor of D.C. puts together a blue ribbon commission and says, you guys come up with a list of the things that are problematic. And they find some people who were, you know, that a school or a street or whatever name for that were either racists or Confederates or whatever. So they go through and do that. But then, like, I don't know what they were thinking, but they include this other section that's like, you know, we don't have anything to say about it. It's not under our control, but we think, and it wasn't obviously the Lincoln Memorial, as the president said, but it was the Washington Monument and it was the Jefferson Memorial that were on the list that should be either removed. They said that these are things that should be removed, renamed, or contextualized. I guess you'd put a big sign in front of the Washington Monument that says, George Washington was a slave owning so and so. I guess that would be the contextualization. It would be a big relief. Uh, but so they threw these on there. Of course, as soon as they issued their report, the mayor's office said, Hey, dummies, what are you doing? Why did you put this pointless stuff on there and had them take it out and reissue it? But the damage was already done. This, this meaningless virtue signaling, blah, blah, blah. Uh, turned into uh, exactly what Trump wants, which is to say, I told you that when you start taking down the monuments to, you know, racist Confederates, that eventually it will lead to the taking down of the monuments like the one to George Washington and played right into that. And, and they embraced it. So it, it was a it was a, a, a colossal blunder by a group of virtue signaling, self-important right. bureaucrats. But the one thing, Chris, is different is that this isn't in a vacuum. This is part of renaming schools, Washington and Lee, getting rid of colonials at George Washington University, uh, getting, uh, getting Jefferson off the William & Mary campus where he went to college, uh, getting him moving it out of Hofstra. This, this is what we're going to defile and try to rip down Andrew Jackson. So this plays into it. It went from culturally, what is more important to, uh, in a theory, uh, on what party has, is better at this or that, to, oh, my goodness, what is going to stop this from being allowed? And when 57% of the country said they're concerned about it, I think the president's got two issues that weren't there in May. One was well, the violence, issue, and, and now this is the second. This issue was, has been with us for a long time. He had this issue in May. It's never been as real. And, never been as real. Well, in, in 2018, I don't know if you remember in 2018, this was a huge issue in 2018. And it was in the Virginia Senate race in a big way. And the president was out big on this, and Republicans went big on this. Look, this stuff is here, – here's the deal. 
This is one of those things that is a cultural problem that there isn't a government solution for, but that doesn't mean there aren't political advantages to be had in in the moment. But look, I am not surprised that the always that Thomas Jefferson got a pass because he was the Democrats' first president and Thomas Jefferson did all that. But they're coming for all their own now, right? They're coming after all the progressives. They're coming the 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 this effort to expurgate history, this effort to go through. And so there's the good, the good side. And I thought this was uh, well expressed by DC. So DC obviously doesn't have a representative in uh, Congress because of the constitution. Uh, But Eleanor Holmes Norton, who is there, I, I I hate to use the word pretend, but she's, she's their delegate basically to the house. Uh, And she said about this stuff, don't sanitize your history. Don't go through. There's good. There's bad. Some things sh- should be taken. To, you know, we saw Mississippi had real success in coming to terms with getting the Confederate battle flag out of their uh, out of their state flag, and that they're they're moving forward there. But what Norton said was, if you sanitize your history, if you take all of this stuff out, you know that's she didn't use this term, but that's Stalinist, right? That's what Lenin and Stalin did. They went through and they they cut out the parts of history that didn't make them look good. And they ended up with this alternate reality. And I think that there are a lot of Democrats, Norton among them, who say, wait a minute, this stuff can go too far and this stuff can be damaging. Aside from the fact that it gives Trump a good issue, it also, from a cultural perspective, can turn into this sort of uh, red scare. I guess we'll call it the white scare. Yeah, I think it's uh, much more real than 2018, especially when you start things getting out of control and you combine that with the urban unrest uh, in particular. So we see a dead heat in one poll in Florida. The same poll, pollsters or poll formula, has a nine-point lead in Pennsylvania, while the uh, while the vice pre- former vice president goes to Michigan today. And well, just to factor in something else, it doesn't seem like the Trump team is spending too much in Michigan. First off, what do you make of Florida if the polls are correct? And we'll never know. But if the polls are correct, is there anything Trump is doing to close that gap and widen it in Pennsylvania? So I think Florida is, of course, is all of the marbles. Trump can't win reelection without Florida. Uh, It's the biggest swing state. He needs it. And there's no way. You know, he changed his residency to Florida. Uh, they're going to spend a ton of money in Florida. Florida is crucially important. Um, and it is tight, whether, you know, you have the NBC News Marist poll that you mentioned that has it tied at, I think, 48. Uh, but other polls show the same thing. There's a Quinnipiac poll that showed uh, Trump up nine or 10 points from his previous low. I think there's two things going on in Florida. One of those things is Trump's numbers were, I won't say artificially, but the temporarily uh, uh, understated because of the terrible coronavirus outbreak this summer, right? Part of the reason, you know, and, and Trump was going to have his rally in Jacksonville and all of this stuff. It was bad timing in Florida. So I think he was under where he should have been. There were people who were saying they were undecided, who were frustrated with the administration's handling of coronavirus and coronavirus in general. So I think that depressed his numbers artificially in Florida. I think the other thing for Trump in Florida is there is a coming home, right? Uh, Republicans have come home. We saw it before the convention and through the convention that there are, there were those Republicans. I think you see it particularly among Cuban Americans uh, in South Florida, 
Uh, there's evidence of that, as Trump does better. It's the only state where Republicans can count on Hispanic voters in large numbers, really, uh, or to win among Hispanic voters. And uh, it's uh, so that's coming together just as basically what we've seen over the past five weeks are that white males and some Hispanics in Florida, but mostly white males around the country who may have been holding out on Trump have come home. And it's brought the race closer in key states. So I think Florida – let me make a fearless forecast, and I could, you can mark this down for, for the next three election cycles. Florida will be close. <laughs> Florida's always close. Florida is an evenly right. divided state, and it's going to be tight, tight, tight. It was tight in 2018. It was tight in 2016. It will be probably decided by less than two points, and it will be a, a nail-biter. And Trump is, is, is very competitive in Florida and he better be because he can't win without it. On the other hand, Pennsylvania and Michigan, I don't think look good for him at all. I think Wisconsin, maybe even Minnesota, but Wisconsin looks like the bet. He doesn't have to win them all, as his campaign does point out. He doesn't need 306 electoral votes that he got last time. He needs 270. So he could give back one of those states or maybe even two of those states. He couldn't lose both Michigan and Pennsylvania, I don't believe. And his, uh, his best hope is he right needs now. Arizona, but, and he definitely needs uh, Minnesota. But to dive in those numbers in Florida, he is leading in Hispanics, if I'm to believe that poll, and also yeah, trailing now when it comes to seniors. That's the Rona, right? That's the coronavirus. And uh, – if Florida, if things continue to get better coronavirus wise in Florida, then maybe that will maybe that will lessen for Trump. All right, um, Chris, I enjoyed our time together. When's the next Fox poll coming out? Uh, we keep that uh, shrouded in the mists of mystery because we want to keep you on the edge of your seat. You don't know, do you? <laughs> well, you know when you know when the next poll will come out. When? Uh, it will come out. It will come out timed to the events of the campaign. Uh, I bet and you know that we're now just weeks away from the first debate, and it might be timely. I, well, I'll put it this way. You'll see a lot of polling before the first debate. Thank you. Uh, let's hope we have a debate. <laughs> Are you optimistic we're going to have a debate? Yeah, we'll have three and one vice presidential. Okay, good. So you think he's going to show? Everyone Heck should. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks so much, Chris Tyrewald. Enjoy the day. Have a great day. All right, uh, we come back. Your turn to finish out the show. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We'll talk about what other, what other things are happening, not only on our show but in the news. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, just keep in mind, if you ever want Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers on paperback, hardback, or any of my other past books, a lot of people ask, how do I get it signed? Just go to briankilmeade.com. You can order it. It goes to my local bookstore, and this way I can walk in and personalize all of it. Uh, no matter what's coming up, a big event, uh, I guess Labor Day, people don't usually exchange gifts, but it would have been a good idea. Maybe uh, Columbus Day they will. Are we still allowed to call it Columbus Day? I hope so. Um, so let's get to the big, let's get, find out if there's even more to know. More to know. Well, I got this as an alert, believe it or not. And I can't believe it. After 20 seasons, keeping up with the Kardashians will be coming to an end after one more, more season. I mean, I don't know how this family even stayed together with everything exposed like it did. Kanye West never made the show, but it certainly made them. 
the Kardashian-Jenner family. The only thing that's really changed about Bruce Jenner is his gender. Uh, besides that, did not really much happen. His hair's a little longer. His hair is much longer. Um, his decision to end the show is made by the Kardashian-Jenner family together. It's with heavy hearts, they say. We say goodbye to keeping up with the Kardashians. Chloe, uh, Rob Kardashian, Kendall, Kylie... And Scott Disick will all say goodbye after 14 years and 20 seasons, hundreds of episodes. Ryan Seacrest came up with this idea, right? Yes, and uh, they thanked him for it, too. He came up with it. And, you know, who knew them before this, right? She was sort of just like an obscure friend of Paris Hilton. Right, and she, she really she, took Paris Hilton and took it to the 10th power. And she right? might have had a tape that helped freeze up her... Uh, so did Paris Hilton. There you go. It was the same <laughs> thing, different people. Yes. Right, with different tape entirely. Uh <laughs> But it, well, how do they stay relevant? I mean, they'll roll out a cologne or a perfume. I mean, they all have their different ventures, right? I mean, Kim's but still in law school, right? And she's doing a lot. Oh, she's going to law school? Remember? But she's doing it sort of online. Remember, she helped with Alice Johnson well, get her. She, did she follow through on that? I believe- Eric, do you know? Would you find out, Eric? <laughs> I, I believe know you work she in the still board is. Now. All right. Um, but then, I mean, what? Kylie and Kendall, they both have crazy careers. Like, they all are doing their own thing. And they're, and they're not going to go broke. But did kid? Did, by the way, Kanye West called out his mother-in-law, called out his wife. Are they still married? I believe they're still married. They've worked on their relationship. I mean, he he's a little bit all over the place, right? I mean, he's discussed his mental health Would issues. Would you talk that he deals about with. a patient woman? Yes, but I mean, Kanye is just fascinating to me because he seems just a little. You know, you never know where he's going to go. But everyone who sort of talks about him says how brilliant he is and mm-hmm. how he sees things differently. Right. Next. Mulan, the film, was shot in China uh, in the same town where they keep the Uyghurs under lock and key in a concentration camp. And now Disney, who produced the movie, is under fire for thanking the city that is now home to the concentration camp. Am I correct in this story? You are correct with that. And basically it it matters because, you know, all of these film all like the movie industry now is going to have to make the decision. China's becoming the biggest market for movies. So are they going to have to compromise their movie in order to make sure they can air it in China? Versus- I mean, the same way the NBA compromised all their integrity, not siding with the GM of the Rockets who simply said free Hong Kong, or I side with the protesters who want this thing called freedom of expression. Now I think you got to really think twice. Because 73% of the public look at China as our adversary, and it might be a great deal there, and you might want the market, but is it going to be worth it? I don't know. Or our movie is going to then have two versions of it, right? One that's good for China and one that they'll air here. And if you're smart, you say, listen, if you had to make a separate version for China, uh, don't do it. Yeah. Here, the other quick thing, too, the um, main actress caused... Um, Another controversy prior because um, she tweeted out in support of the Hong Kong police and their excessive use of violence, essentially. So that was sort of the story yesterday about the movie, and this is today. (laughs) Next, Julian Michaels, very fit, is opening up uh, about her experience with coronavirus, says she let her guard down for about an hour, worked out in the gym, and got the coronavirus. Says if you're afraid of COVID, you should not go to the gym. I actually am a person who let my guard down. I haven't even spoken about this publicly. Quote, I'm fortunate to have gone to it through pretty healthy. I was able to get on the other side of it pretty quickly, but not everyone is that lucky. All I can tell you is that if you are afraid of giving COVID, a public gym is probably not the place uh, for you to go. That's, I mean, that's true. If you're afraid, then you should stay in your bubble as much as you're comfortable. I've been back at Crunch for the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. I have to wear a mask. We're already kind of used to it. I don't like it at all. 
but everyone's wiping down the equipment. I think it's good. Okay. Do you find you're not exerting yourself as much because you have the mask on? I don't know. But between the AirPods and the mask, I feel like I'm in a tunnel. Uh, (laughs) Meanwhile, lastly, ex-Yankee Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez. Are they married, by the way? No, I think they're getting married. He gave her a really big engagement ring. 11th hour bid to buy the Mets fell short, but they're not giving up yet. Says as part of our pitch, the duo said Lopez would be in control for the team, which would make her the first Latino woman. It would have also removed the question of whether the polarizing Rodriguez could get ownership approval. In addition, Lopez and Rodriguez told the Post uh, their bid was either similar or better than the $2.5 billion, $3.5 billion uh, that they were supposed to be able to do, but they revealed how much they were offering. Steve Cohen, this other billionaire, he's going to go through the process. Looks like he's got the team. But do you want do you want J Lo running the team? That doesn't make me feel better about it. I think what does she know fun. about baseball? Nothing. But what do I know? It'd be fun to watch. And if they break up, is the team going to be hung up? Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform, and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.